I'm reading from Isaiah 53, 1 through 12. Who has believed our message and to whom the Lord of the arm of the Lord has been re revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He has no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in him in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whose people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and his wounds were healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his gen generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he's poured out his life into death and was numbered by the trans with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made the intercession for his transgressors. It can be tricky. It's hard to do sometimes. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it together. Things usually work better whenever they're turned on. My bad. It's my fault. Forgive me, Kyle. See, Brandon, we're already practicing. Man, Christmas is almost here. How about it, huh? Exciting. Almost time to decorate. Man, I done decorated before Thanksgiving. Come on. That's right. Greg refute, does not like decorating at all anyways, and especially doesn't like to decorate before Thanksgiving, and I think he decorated three things before Thanksgiving this year, so welcome to Stones River. That's what we do. So I'm super excited about this message today. I've been meditating on it, and it's, ah, I can't wait. I can't wait. We've been spending time 
during this Advent season in a book called The Anticipated Christ. And, you know, some, I think several of y'all got the book and are reading through it. I was, I see it at people's houses when I have gone in. I saw it at the Kellum's house. They're like, oh, hey, they have it there. Cool. People are actually going through it. It's been awesome. Has anyone enjoyed it as you've read through it? Yeah, it's been really cool. I've, 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 really, I've really loved it. Um, Advent means arrival, right? And we just continue to reiterate that. And there's kind of three parts that we've been looking at. We've been going back and looking at Israel before Messiah's first coming and trying to like, at least I'm trying to identify with these people. Like, what does it feel like? What was it like, you know, to hear Isaiah's words that we're going to read and go, what is this? What is, what's happening? What is this about? You know, you've, you have Israel dealing with all kinds of oppression and exile and things throughout their history in this anticipation of, oh, someone's got to fix this. And Greg last week talked a lot about that, a lot about Israel's suffering and, and thinking through and even thinking through us and our culture and our world and all the things that we go through now. And it's just like there's times we're just like, God, come, we need you. We also look at the first advent of Messiah. And that's where we're going to be primarily focused today as we go through Isaiah 53. And then we also look forward to his return, right? Like he will come again. And I love it. This season is awesome. This is so cool. Um, Isaiah 53, y'all can turn there if you want, um, is usually something that you might hear at Easter instead of at Advent. And when I opened up to this week, that we're going to go through this week, and I saw, oh, there's two days entirely on Isaiah 53. I thought, hmm, and then I got into it and got real excited about it. So uh, we are going to actually start a little before there in 52, because Greg read, I believe, this on verse 13, Isaiah 52, 13. We're going to read that because that's going to help build into and remind us of some of the things Greg taught about last week, and I think it's so good. Before we read this, though, let me share with you three pretty prominent views of Isaiah 53, Isaiah 52, all right? One is that this whole passage is about Israel, and this is what many Jewish people believe today. That's why they didn't believe Jesus was Messiah, and so they believe this is entirely about Israel. Israel has suffered all kinds of stuff throughout their history. This is about Israel's suffering, and God's going to bring redemption through Israel. Another group of folks believe that this is about a remnant of righteous Jewish people. And that is how, that is, through that remnant, imagine the prophets, right? Imagine the ones that came and, and were God's spokespeople. What happened to them? They suffered. <laughs> they suffered. And through this remnant, through these people, it will actually bring salvation and healing and restoration to Israel. And then there's those who believe that this is messianic. Like, this is about a, a figure that is going to change everything, right? This is how righteousness and stuff is going to be ushered in by this person, this figure. And I think that we often miss the depth and the breadth of this because we pick one. And I say yes to all of them. I believe that this is about all three of those. And as I'll share that, I think it will open up the scriptures Israel in itself doesn't completely fulfill Isaiah 53. There's things where you go, ah, that Messiah does fulfill. But when we, sometimes in our Christianity these days, we just kind of throw out the Old Testament or throw out what the context is, and we really miss, like, hold up a second. 
the beauty of what Yeshua, Jesus, is going to do and what this is talking about as a suffering servant. But we'll get there. Let's get there. I'm, I'm excited about it. So I'm going to read Isaiah 52, 13, and we'll, we'll do that, and then we'll stop, and we'll get into Isaiah 53. See, my servant shall prosper. He shall be exalted and lifted up and shall be very high. Just as many who were astonished, just as there were many who were astonished at him, so marred was his appearance beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of mortals. So he's talking about his servant being lifted high. And Israel's called his servant all the time and called his son, just like Jesus is as well. And you see these references even to Israel. Like Israel, man, they went through a bunch of junk. Have you read, have you read their history? <laughs> they were not, there was a few times with Solomon and David where they were looked at something great, but most of the time they really weren't. They were kind of the this, this scourge. Oh, the Israelites, oh, whatever. He, so he shall startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. And for that which had not been told, them they shall see. And that which they had not heard, they shall contemplate. What's striking, and which I'm going to talk a lot about today, is the fact that God could have brought his salvation through whatever vehicle he chose to bring his salvation. And if we want to say, what are we safe from? We can go all the way back to the garden and start thinking about the evil that pervade and came into all of us. And like, we joined in. God could have said, forget it. But he said, no, I'm going to, I'm going to actually redeem this. I'm going to redeem everything. He could have come through any vehicle he chose, but what we're going to see here is he chose to, instead of come as so many of us would have, which I'll get to in a second, he chose to identify with a suffering people. He chose to say, as my people, my son Israel has suffered, the son of God, the Messiah, I'm choosing to do the same. That's, that's, this, this, is, this is deep stuff. Who, who, who's up for that? who's up for saying, like, I, mean, I mean, you're God. You can kind of choose what you want. Who's up for saying, I mean, what, what characteristics of God does that show that he says, no, I'm going to go, I'm going to walk the path that they walked. I'm going to endure the suffering that they went through, and it wasn't even his fault. It's crazy. It's crazy. What Isaiah 53 and this whole passage is going to begin to share, I actually titled this sermon, The Victory of God with a Question Mark. Because I think that it's so shocking what happens, so wild, that it leaves us scratching our heads and leaves us going, I don't have a paradigm or a box to even really put what God is doing here. And that's why it says, through this passage right here, it says, he's going to shut the mouths of kings. Kings will not know what to do because the way God does it is so unlike anything we've seen they'll be speechless. I love this. Our human, the way that we've done things, the way the world works, God's going to do almost the exact opposite and kings are going to be like. (laughs) So Isaiah 53, it actually continues to add on to that point in verse 1 when it says, 
Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He goes on to say, not only will kings shut their mouth because of what is taking place here, who the heck's even going to believe this? Like, this is, this is so wild. Who will believe it? Even Paul says in Romans chapter 10, he brings this exact verse up. He says, but many didn't believe. And he quotes this, saying, it's so unbelievable what God is doing here. Many will go, I don't understand it. Again, I don't have a paradigm for that in my humanity, my experiences that I've had in this life. You can go to the next slide. He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. This is one of the more stunning things I remember seeing in Israel was this vast desert, and you would see this kind of greenery and little areas. This is probably the Negev. And then all of a sudden, then here and there, you'd see a tree shoot up. And you realize here that as he begins to talk more deeply about this servant, this figure, it says that he grows up like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground, a place where it's not impossible that a tree can't grow or something, but it's just not that likely. Like this is a place that's really not supposed to produce much, produce vegetation, supposed to, not supposed to do this, but this figure is going to come in a place that is dry, life is going to spring up. I thought that song was perfect this morning. Whenever we sang that, you make things new. Like, you got to be scratching your head at this point. Okay, so there's this servant, and God's going to do some things, but out of this arid, dry ground, life is going to begin to burst forth. This is what God is doing. This is his redemption that he's bringing, and it's going to come out of the most unlikely of places, the people of Israel. This people that have been uh, harassed and oppressed for years out of the Israelites? And then let's go a step further, which, out of Nazareth? Like, <laughs> what? The, the, out of the backwoods people? Like, what's going on here? God says, I'll do it my way. Um, next slide. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. I try not to do cartoons, but sometimes you just can't find the best pictures. That's Saul. I remember when I, I thought about this immediately as I read this this week, and I was thinking how when Israel rejects God as king, Saul's anointed as king, and what does it say about him, ladies? He was handsome, and he was tall. And when they said, when they introduced Saul as king, you know what Israel said? Long live the king! They were... They were, they were high. They are excited. They are happy. If you or I were going to start a revolution or even a, a business, right, that's gonna we're going to change the world with our business, and we were going to have a spokesperson, let's be real, who would you pick? A man or woman that was attractive? Right? Let's just, that could speak well, that had accomplished great things, that... I mean, let's be real, that has power, that has authority, maybe a, a, a model or a celebrity that has weight, you know, people are like, love them. That's what we, if we had all the money in the world and we wanted to start this thing, we would get someone who has clout. We would have, that's exactly what we would do. 
And don't say you wouldn't. That's if you really want to make money. That's what you would do if you had a business. Or if you really wanted to, that's what we would say. And so it's striking to me that God does the exact opposite thing. <laughs> that instead of, you know, picking, I mean, if y'all start a new social media page, we know you're picking the great picture of you that looks a little better than you actually normally do, right? It hits that angle and you're like, dang, I'm looking pretty good in that picture. I'm going to pick that one. Or, you know, if you're going to create an avatar, you guys know what those are? Don't play. Everyone's skinnier than they really are. Like every single time, like, hmm, that person is, uh, whew, looks like they shed 80 pounds or something, you know, based on this avatar. And I say that because that's, the, that's what we would do. So like if God, if we were able to pick what we look like and all this stuff before we were in existence, we would pick attractive, probably tall, whatever, right? Like whatever, if we're guys, I guess guys want to be tall. I don't know if women want to be tall or not. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. I'm going to get in trouble just saying women because I don't understand them. And then somehow I'm going to get in trouble for what I said, probably. I'm just kidding. All right. I know. I'm done. I'm done. But instead of picking a beautiful or handsome approach, God says, my people have suffered and they've kind of been people who have not been well looked at. So I'm going to identify with Israel by being that type of a person. I'm not going to have some amazing form or appearance. You can go to the next slide. Amazing form or appearance. I'm just, it's not, it's not, it's what's going to happen. Well, this guy's not bad looking, but. To go beyond that, it says he was despised and rejected by others. A man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. And as one from whom others hide their faces. He was despised and we held him of, of no account. Not only was he like not super great looking to identify with the people of Israel, he also was despised. He understood what they went through. He was rejected like they went through. He was a man of suffering. And when you look at his life, that you see that, Right? You see that there are times in Jesus' life where even when things seem to be going good, he decides to say something like, eat my flesh and drink my blood and everyone's gone. Like, <laughs> the people that are, are y'all serious? No, we're not that serious, you know. The Pharisees, the scribes, these people are always coming at him trying to get him. He was not, he was not super well received. Like, we understand that. So much so that when he goes to the cross and he gets arrested, how many people are there going, I'm with you, Jesus? I mean, that's, could you imagine having your best friend group and you get arrested for something and they all run away from you? <laughs> when they're supposed to be there, like, bro, you're supposed to be there for me? They're like, you know, in Woodbury because they're trying to get as far away as <laughs> they, they can. You know, they're, they're out of here. Why would he do this? Go to the next slide. Surely he has bore our infirmities and carried our diseases. It's, it's so striking to hear that there's life coming out of dry ground, but his appearance wasn't great. His, he was despised. He was rejected. But he bears our infirmities. Like <laughs> You would think God might eventually just go, yeah, nah, I'm done. I think most of us probably would like, 
all right, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with looking like this, but to be despised and rejected, I don't, that's, ah, that's, that's crossing the line. But then you see this flash over to he's taking what took place in the garden. I mean, this, this right here, some of the translations say grief and sorrows. It is about disease. Like, I've studied this Hebrew a ton. It's why Matthew heals uh, Peter's mother-in-law, and then they bring demoniacs. This is in Matthew 8, and they bring uh, people who are sick, and it says, and he healed them all. And then it says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by Isaiah, and he actually quotes this, right? But what's so beautiful about this is that what you see is that new life breaking loose, beginning to form. You see out of dry ground, you see the evil that has just filled the earth. You see Jesus beginning, despite being rejected, to bring life. There would be no sickness and disease if we would not have rejected God and not followed him. But you start to see hope springing up. Wow, he takes, he took our infirmities, he carried our diseases. And you would think at that point we would say, glory to God, yes. And then it immediately says afterwards, yet we accounted him stricken, struck by, down by God and afflicted. Instead of saying, yes, thank you for taking these, we blamed him and pointed our finger at him and said, well, you're stricken by God, which is what, what happened right? He healed. Think of all the people that he healed. All the people. And like, we, we really don't have any idea. How many times were the crowds that get w- there with them? How many children were healed that had been suffering for such a long time and mothers and fathers were relieved, like couldn't believe it? How many times did this happen? And then it gets to the end of his life and all you hear is crucify him. Crucify him. He deserves it. He's a false prophet. I think I'm out at this point, maybe, (laughs) if I'm God. We counted him afflicted. And then it goes back and says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. You can go to the next slide if you want. So for our transgressions, for the dumb stuff that we've done, he actually receives wounds. For our iniquities, he's crushed. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole. The punishment that we deserve, he takes upon himself. He walks Israel's path and does what Israel could never have done. They were supposed to be a light to us, the Gentiles, to the nations, to the people groups. They're supposed to carry God's will into the earth and obey God's will and show people what it looks like to be ruled by God. And here we see this figure despite being, I mean, he's punished, he's wounded, he's rejected, he's despi- he's, he is despised, and yet he is still being faithful to God. Talk about faithfulness. When we see the word faith in the scripture, most, a lot of the time, it is faithfulness. It means, will we be faithful to God? Will we walk the path? Not just a one-time, hey, will I be faithful to God like this figure, this messianic figure, this person. And by his bruises, we are healed. (laughs) We counted him stricken. He's done all this for us. You can go to the next slide. And all we... Go two slides. There you go, right there. Thank you. All we like sheep have gone astray. 
We have turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You get this image that, that we don't have sheep around here much, do we? So I thought, everybody's cat or dog gets out occasionally and runs off, right? It scares you. You're like, oh man, what's going on? Like if you're a shepherd, you're going to have times where like a sheep is going to stray off. You're going to wonder where it went. And Isaiah is going to be clear that like all of us have done that. We've all screwed up. We've all, we've all wandered off at some point in time in our life. Some of us, many times in our lives, we just continue to be that wanderer. But this figure who we pointed our finger at and actually said, God's stricken him and he deserves it, that we despised and we rejected, is actually the one going to rescue us. How do I, where, where can I put that in my mind? Like, I don't understand. God's infinite wisdom is incredible. He's the one. He, he's the one that leaves the 99 and goes for the one. And I pointed my finger at him. And I said he deserved it. And we've all needed this rescue. Verse 7 says he was oppressed and was afflicted. You can go to the next slide if you want to. Yet he did not open his mouth. His oppression and affliction wasn't just during, you know, the crucifixion time of his life. Like he's constantly oppressed and afflicted by people, calling him this, calling him that but still continue to be faithful to God. Over the process of this, he's overcoming evil. The evil that has come into the world. In our humanity, we would be like, attack it, kill it, do something. And Jesus is going to overcome it by not surrendering to it, even when he doesn't deserve it. Yet he did not open his mouth. That's hard for me. How many of us would have been oppressed, afflicted? How many of us would have even gone through the beating that he had and just, if we knew it was God's will, just was silent? I'm pretty sure I would have been screaming, this isn't just, I didn't do anything. It's their fault. It's not mine. Yet he didn't open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter. So you get this image of this rescue of us as sheep. And then you get this flash to this lamb that he's actually going to take our place. Lamb, to the, lamb led to the slaughter and, and like a sheep before it shears is silent. Nothing, the sheep doesn't, nothing. So he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice, he was taken away. Like, this is a perversion of justice. Did he deserve it? He didn't deserve any of it. None. Evil was surrounding him. Evil was mocking him. Evil thought it had won the day. He didn't say anything. And then that's why in the middle of verse 8, it says, who could have imagined his future? Like, at this point, it's a, it's a dark moment. It's, it looks like evil won. It looks like God could not rescue us from ourselves. Who could imagine what would happen? Because our minds can't even go there. It, it's over. For he was cut off from the land of the living, which many believe that's an allusion to his death, stricken for the transgression 
of my people. So the the people, and that's crazy, like the people of here, like think of how many times the Israelites rejected God, went on their own path, blamed God, got, ma- got mad at Aaron, got mad at Moses, did this, complained. And in, even though they did that, it said he was stricken for my people. He's going to be stricken himself for his people. They made his grave with the wicked. That, that strikes me because not only did he have to go through this in life, like Greg, we had that conversation with Ethan, and then like, I'm at the age now to where I care about my legacy too much, probably. We had this big conversation, like I'm thinking like, when I leave, like I want to make this big mark, you know? Could I imagine being so obedient to God that my legacy was I was a criminal that got buried with the wicked? Who would, who would do, like I would have a hard time doing that because I care what people think about me too much. I'm just, that's just the honest truth. But he was like, I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to walk full in obedience to God. He's the one that, I'm, that, that, that I seek approval from. I will not seek approval from man. Man's messed up anyways, right? <laughs> he made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. How? I'm, no deceit? Jesus was never playing an angle He was never trying to get what he wanted for himself. I mean, I would be big time lying if I said that. I never did that. Yet it was the will of God, or the Lord, to crush him with pain. When you make his life an offering for sin, this is sounds even more wild because God is very clear that human sacrifice is not something that, <laughs> that, that we should, that should participate in at all. The peoples of the day would do things and sacrifice children to Molech in different places, and God said, absolutely not. That's not what my people are going to do. But you see this idea of someone being cut off from the land of the wicked, and you see this idea of a life being offered for sin, you get the illusion of a lamb and you think through the sacrifices and what Israel has done for years and years and years and you go, what? Is this, is this, what is happening? Is this servant going to die? Like on behalf of people, like on people, how could this be? And it was God's will to go through with this. Like this was God's desire. How could God even desire that for us? <laughs> this is why I, I, we can only trust in Jesus. Like, all we can do is believe. Like, there's nothing that we can do. There's no, who am I? God took all this on himself. All I can do is try to be as faithful as I can to this beautiful, this beautiful figure and then it says, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. The effect that he has, I believe, is going to be generational. <laughs> it's going to go through the generations. It's not even about him, it's about his offspring. How can he be so selfless? How can he, how can he do this? Through him, the will of the Lord shall prosper. But God's desire all along for mankind to walk with him 
to learn from him, <laughs> to not walk with the evil thoughts and the different things. And it is through this obedient, faithful son that it's going to be brought to us. And through his will, we will prosper. Out of his anguish, we shall see light. We walked, we've stumbled in darkness, but when we see a life like this and when we see it laid down, when we see this taking place, it's actually going to illuminate the way we should live, the way this thing should work. I wish I could tell you that when I see that, I'm just like, oh yeah, Jesus, I'm right there with you. But it's still hard for me to grasp. <laughs> it's still hard for me to grasp the selflessness and many, many, many other things. He shall, he shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous. He will bear their iniquities. Through shouts, through claims of God should take him, he ends up being the one that bears, that makes many righteous. And you know the last slide if you want. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured himself to death. Again he was numbered with transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many. And made intercession for the transgressors. I've been reading through numbers again. And recognize a number of times where the Israelites do something dumb. Like Korah starts to lead this rebellion against Moses and Aaron. Right, this kind of stuff happens nonstop. And to see Moses' response almost always blows my mind because God's usually like, all right, we're done. This is it. <laughs> this has been so many times. Let's just start with a new people. And to see him fall on his face and intercede constantly intercede for the people. God, but just remember, what are the Egyptians going to say if, if they see that this people were struck down? They're going to say, well, I guess their God didn't really do it or whatever it may be. You see that intercession and you see God relenting over and over and over again, even though Israel doesn't deserve it. I mean, they're doing all kinds of stuff. And you see this, uh, next slide, this, uh, this figure that's cut off from the land of the living, this figure that walks complete faithfulness and obedience to Father, to the Father, bears the sins of many, and he makes intercession for us. Way better than Moses. When we don't deserve it, whenever we've wronged and wronged and wronged and wronged, this, this, this servant is pleading on our behalf. If we've chosen to trust in him and believe and say, yeah, yeah, we're with you. There's nothing greater than that, man. There's nothing greater. That's why during this Advent season, it's so, it's, it's so exciting to take a pause and to recognize in Isaiah 53 and to what he has done and what he has accomplished in the way that his kingdom is breaking through and it looks so much different than what our, norm, what our minds would say. So what do, we, what do we do besides say that we believe we walk and we tr try our best to walk this path? <laughs> try our best to walk in selfishness. Try our best to see the things that he dreams about come to birth on this earth.
as we also anticipate and wait with longing hearts for the complete fulfillment of this. And we know that as we follow this and we head on this journey and we try, we're going to fail and we're going to make mistakes. We're going to do some stupid stuff. And we have this great Messiah who's interceding for us even though we can't get it right (laughs) as much as we try. No matter how great we go, we should continue to grow. I'm not saying let's just not grow and let's just do, live it up how we want. That's not what I'm saying. But even with us continuing to do that, even when we pointed our finger, he not only died, he not only went through obedience, he continues to make intercession for us and say, I took it. I did it. Father, um, When, they, when, <laughs> when the word says that uh, your ways are higher than ours and thoughts are higher and, and we start thinking about your mind and the way it works, it, uh, I'm oftentimes just, uh, I'm blown away by your wisdom. I'm blown away that you did have victory, that maybe we're scratching our heads, but you put evil where it deserved. You told evil, I will not submit to you even when I'm being wronged and it's unjust. (laughs) You said, evil, I'm not going to submit to you when I'm being sneered at. I'm not going to submit to you when a people (laughs) who don't deserve it are constantly making mistakes. I won't submit to you. I will follow in obedience. And and Lord, I, I, I just ask that you would help us all to do that. A thousand thank yous, Jesus, doesn't thank you enough for showing us what it means to identify with people who are suffering. Our natural inclination is usually to run away from suffering, but to identify with people who are suffering and to allow God to bring rescue. Help us to do that. Help us to be agents of your kingdom uh, of rescue for those who are suffering. And thank you, that you always intercede on our behalf, Jesus. We need it so much. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.